Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome new listeners to I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. I have been doing this podcast since April of 2013, and I have always been a podcast fanatic. I love listening to podcasts. I love hearing people talk about their lives. And the reason I started this podcast was at the time I was on a TV show called Chelsea Lately where I was appearing nightly making jokes about celebrities. And then people could also see me on Drunk History where I was getting wasted talking about history. And nobody really seemed to know who I was. Did they think people thought I was drunk like that all the time or they thought, oh, Jen only cares about Lindsay Lohan. And I felt like, you know what? I really want people to know who I am. And unfortunately, when I was on the road a lot, people would be at my shows screaming out, let's get drunk or whatever. And I thought, oh, they don't really know me. I'm not that fun. And so as a joke, I said, I'm going to do a podcast called I Seem Fun, meaning, but I'm not. And then I called it the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast because it was supposed to be a once a week and it still is solo podcast where I talk about what went on with me during the week, whether it's serious or silly you know, kind of curmudgeon complaining, whether it's something going on in the world, something political. I've cried on this podcast. I've taken you guys deep into my life, breakups and get-back-togethers and family stuff. It's just like your friend talking to you who's rude and doesn't let you get a word in edgewise. And it's off the top of my head every week. I prepare briefly the topics I want to talk about, but that's it. It's just a fun free-for-all where you can just see the real me. And, uh... I hope you enjoy it. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can listen on Google Play. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on SoundCloud. And uh, I'll give you a review from the Onion AV Club. What makes I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Cut. Co- 
Cockman. See, I can't even advertise my own fucking show. What makes I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast funny, is Kirkman's inherent knack for cultivating conflict, even talking into a microphone in a room by herself. Whether she's dissecting a negative iTunes review from an angry Christian or seriously considering a class action lawsuit against Robin Thicke for being gross, Kirkman is eternally embattled, but she tempers her cynicism with sweetness, and more often than not, she's right. That is from the Onion AV Club. So if you're curious, well, I guess you can start with this episode and go through the backlog. If you want to stay, here comes the podcast. You're about to get on the ride. I see fun. I see fun. The Diary of Jeff Kirkman We are recording I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 234. This is a listener email podcast. You guys had great ideas and some things you wanted to talk about, and I need to put some of you in your place. I don't really need to do that. I don't know why I'm saying that. But this episode is brought to you by Talkspace, our friends at Talkspace. As a reminder, the I Seem Fun podcast is part of the All Things Comedy Network. If you love podcasts and you need more to listen to, go to allthingscomedy.com and Subscribe on iTunes. You can also listen on Stitcher and SoundCloud and Google Play. And you can follow at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter and Facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. And if you ever want to write into the podcast, and I hope that you do, I Seem Fun at gmail.com. That's all the business we're getting out of the way. Now, oh, and London. What time is it in London? Is anyone awake? Is anyone awake in London? What time is it in London? I can't look at my phone. I am doing one show only June 22nd in London. Any advice for an aspiring comic? Yes. Don't ah, just get on stage and do comedy. I can't give you advice so you do it. You have to listen to my podcast. I talk about every episode. You have books written by everybody on the planet. Every comedian has written a book that should just be you absorbing advice. Every comic has a podcast. Greg Fitzsimmons, Mark Maron, every comedian has a podcast talking about how they get into comedy. You get on stage and you do stand-up and you become who you are on stage and you bomb and you bomb and you bomb and you bomb. It is the only art form where you cannot get it right before you do it. It's just, there's no advice is my advice. I say it all the time on this podcast. I say it in my books. That's my advice, and that is with some major peace and love. Uh, I Just get on the fucking stage already. All right, so now if the people on the podcast are like, who the fuck is Jen talking to? People out there in podcast land, I am live on Instagram right now recording some of this, and it's kind of hard to do both. It's kind of hard to do both. It's never too late to start in any career. 29 is so young. Of course, Oh, for God's sakes. And, you know, you don't know your own timeline. Does that make sense? You know, maybe you're not meant to be like a good actor until you're old enough and have lines in your face and and, and who you are just really shines through when you're older. You know, my stand-up, it's subjective if you think I'm funny, but I know for a fact I got funnier as I got older because I'm just more comfortable in my skin and you can see it on stage and nobody likes to watch someone who's like, and you only get that way by doing it over and over and over. You know, Um, there's no too old for anything. This, we are, listen, if you're a gymnast, you might be too old at a certain age. That's about it. You know, Um, anything else, it comes to you and it comes to you. We are on the universe's timeline and creativity 
is big and expanding, and it's not limited to human fears and human neuroses. Creativity is bigger than us. So if you want to sit around, I'm too old, blah, 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 you're letting in fear instead of creativity. Creativity cannot thrive on fear. So I'd love to go on the Stern Wrap-Up show again soon. Unfortunately, I'm in New York because I have a writing job, and I am at work during the hours of the Wrap-Up show. I work way far away in Brooklyn, and it's... I write on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and you do not leave a Golden Globe winning show to say, I'm going to go be on the radio show. So I can only do Stern Wrap-Up when I have a day free, which is when I'm not at my job, but I'm on tour, and I happen to be in New York hanging out. So I hope so. I hope so. Can you be too young to do anything? You know, you never fucking know what these YouTube kids, what are they, eight years old? They get on, pick their nose, play the piano with their foot, and everyone's like, oh, my God. I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe too young to, like, smoke or, you know, I don't know, something dirty, but I don't want to say that. All right, listen. Listen, I love the shirt. Yes, I got it at a vintage store where they sell new things. I don't know what that means. Guys, I'm signing off. i got to record the podcast. This is recording, and people listening are like, what the fuck is happening? So I can't do both. I know, it's tough. I'm going to do more live fun things. Um, I'll probably come to you live when I'm in Bloomington, Indiana this week, I hope all of you who live anywhere near Indiana or know anyone that does, I'm not on tour this year because of my job. I'm only doing a couple clubs just to like, you know, have some fun. And so I'm at Bloomington, Indiana at the Comedy Attic, um, March, March, May 10th through 12th, five shows. I need you to come and you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram or go to jenkirkman.com and click tour dates. And I need you to get tickets in advance. So yeah, I should add another Brooklyn show. I might. I live in Michigan. That's great. Come to Bloomington, Indiana. I come to every state every year, but this year I'm not on tour. Okay. Love you guys. You totally owe Pittsburgh a show. Yeah, when was I last there? No, I was just there, you dingle bat. Wasn't I? I just went this fall. Didn't I? Didn't I? Maybe I didn't. I have to look at the schedule. But I'm not on tour this year. So again, yes. Yes to that. Uh, when I go on tour next year, I will. I thought I hit Pittsburgh this year. All right. Yes, I want to come to Denver, but the comedy works is not booking me. Like, guys, I'm not on tour. So all the come to, come to isn't going to do you anything. I'm tell you got to join my email list, jenkirkman.com. Join my email list. I tell you why. I talk about Denver every fucking week. How old am I? You know how you can know that? You can watch my Netflix special, Just Keep Living. You can get both my books. I know what I'm doing in other lies I tell myself, and I can barely take care of myself. If you don't know how old I am, then you don't listen to my podcast, then you don't know my work, and I ain't doing that. Yeah, more shows in Europe. I just said I'm going to be in London June 22nd. Guys, you got to join my fucking email list, jenkirkman.com. Dallas, 2019. No, I was just there. Guys, I can't take this. This is not tour date arama. I love you all, but stop. Oh, my God. Are you like, Jen, what are you doing? I know. I was trying to do a thing. I was going on Instagram Live to um, 
see what that was about. And that's what it's about. And you can see people writing you things, and God bless them, they're nice. But it always devolves into come here, come there, when I'm literally like, I am not on tour this year. Come here, come there. I'm like, I know the cities. Guys, when does it end? It doesn't end, does it? When does everyone loving me end? Here's the thing, though. I come to the cities, and this last year was the worst showing, except for Boston, where I sold at a 1,000-seat theater. And, and, of course, New York and Brooklyn is always I sell out. But every other city fell short on the numbers. So it's like, folks, if you won't join my email list, you never know if I'm coming. I don't know what else to tell you. So it didn't make me want to tour this year because I was like, you know what? People aren't coming, and everyone's mad at me because I don't like Bernie Sanders and I don't like Trump. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know who to perform for anymore. Where's Hillary's people? Not even that it's about Hillary, but she was the other candidate that everyone was talking about. Maybe people who voted for her can come to my shows. I don't even make fun of Trump in my shows. Well, maybe a little. Um, all right. That's me taking off my rings. So let's do it. The listener email episode. Aha. This woman does not love sleep, and she wants to know if people relate. And I, you know what? I actually read, I actually went on iTunes and read some of the reviews, the most recent ones, because I'm trying to compile quotes that people say, because I think at the beginning of every episode, before the theme song, I'm going to do what I call a permanent intro, where I just, for maybe 90 seconds, I say what I seem fun is, how long it's been on the air, why I started it and read the review that the Onion AV Club gave me, and then maybe read a couple reviews from people from iTunes. And it pained me to scroll through the iTunes reviews because I was so afraid of seeing shit I don't want to see. Like, you suck. But I didn't. Because you can sort by most recent and most complimentary. So I was like, I'll do that. Um, But a lot of people said I had a point. I had a point. Oh, she had a point. Well, go to iTunes, give me five stars, and write, this time write an earnest review. And if you really can't think of an earnest thing to say of how this podcast makes you feel and how you like how ramshackle it is, then just write, this is an earnest review, and that's it, and give it five stars. It really helps. If you love me so much, then what you probably want is for me to keep doing this. And I know it sounds crazy, but the more reviews and the more five stars you have, the more it helps me keep doing this. Especially because I tell new people to the podcast, go read the iTunes reviews. They'll give you a sense of why people like it. So maybe I should stop telling you guys to write joke reviews and let's get earnest up in here. Okay, so this woman does not love sleep. She wants to know if people relate. Weeks ago, I'd read an article about um, a woman who had her own unique sleep cycle, and it wasn't insomnia, but that's what she had been diagnosed with forever. And it wasn't that she couldn't sleep. It was that she could only sleep during what we would think of as bizarre hours. So uh, this woman writes in, I was listening to a recent episode where you spoke about preferring to go to bed late and wake up early. Oh, that must have just been me talking. I love the peaceful feeling at night and early in the morning. Most people are sleeping. Nothing is really required of you. Like this morning, I made homemade granola bars at 5 a.m. But I never understood when people say they love sleep. Sure, I love feeling refreshed and recharged. But I can't say I love sleeping because it's at a time when I'm not even conscious. Even I'm not that depressed. 
To be honest, I probably would love sleeping if I could remember my dreams every night. Honestly, sometimes it trips me out that we literally star in a mini movie every single night in our mind while we dream, but in the morning, usually have no recollection of it. It almost makes me mad. Like, it's not fair that I can't remember these adventures. Do any of your listeners relate, or am I just nuts? Well, here's the deal. Everyone could relate, and y'all could be nuts. Or no one could relate, and it doesn't mean you're nuts, right? But this is what I love about I Seem Fun. I have never thought about that before, like to not love sleep. Yeah, of course, you can't love something that you're not really aware that you're in. But I think, I think when most people say they love sleep, I think they mean when it just feels like the body is like, can you just turn me off for right now? Can we just sleep? That moment when you're in bed and you go, oh my God, I've ate, like it's the opposite of work when you're at work and you're like, oh my God, I have eight fucking hours, eight fucking hours left of this. And when you go to bed, there's such promise like, oh my God, I have eight hours to do nothing. And it is almost a pity. You almost wish you could be aware that you're asleep so you could enjoy it. And that is, I think, why I love getting up super early in the morning. Like almost, hopefully I can get enough REM sleep in. So if I go to bed at like 10 and wake up at 5 a.m., then it's only seven hours. But if I don't get out of bed, because I tweeted that once, I like to get out, I like to get up early, but not out of anything necessarily. So wake up at 5 a.m. and you realize I'm awake and you're in that sleepy middle feeling where you're like, I know that I'm sleeping-ish. This is so peaceful. It's such a delightful feeling. So if sleep could be like that, I think it could be really blissful we probably wouldn't get any rest and then we'd be angry and acting like lunatics the next day. But I know what you mean. There's something, there's something about people who say they love being asleep when it's like, but you don't know you're asleep. It's like, I know people who, when I was telling them about my operation and I was like, I'm nervous to go under anesthesia. They're like, I love anesthesia. I'm like, no, I know you love that. Like one second feeling before, where you feel yourself being pulled under, and then when you wake up and you're all relaxed, but you, you have no idea you're asleep. So if anyone relates, please write to our friend, iseemfun at gmail.com, and put in the subject heading, I don't love sleep either. And you can tell us for whatever reason you have that you don't love sleep. Now, oh, this was my point. One of the reviews said she loves the listener emails. She loves when she hears other I Seem Funners say things that make her feel less alone and like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. So the emails are such an important part of the show. I love them. So just keep them coming. And anytime you just want like a certain topic discussed on the show, the best thing to do for that is tweet me because it's so of the moment. So at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter is my handle and tweet me and I will, um, I will answer those questions for you. So here's another one. Here's another one. Okay, this is from, oh, she's a stand-up. She tried stand-up comedy. Lady, it's beginning into stand-up comedy. Oh, I have a book to recommend. Let me get that going over here. 
Okay, hi, Jen. I recently took your advice and did stand-up. Now, I wish I could tell you that I know who you are, dear reader, dear writer, because I have so many people asking me about stand-up. And I'm so sick of stand-up that I'm like, oh, who wants to get into it? But I tell everyone, just try it. It's the only way to know if you're going to be good at it or if you like it. And you can always stop. Jen, I actually took your advice. I just did stand-up. I got on stage and said my five-minute piece. I get that asking, how did you make it, is a rude-ass question. You did it by doing whatever you did as they all did. Let's be honest. I'm rubbish at stand-up. I'm a 23-year-old upper-middle-class idiot. Well, hey, I started at 22, and I was probably middle-class. Um, I've got miles to go before I can actually co-study a joke. I don't know what that means. I've got a few laughs, which I'm proud of. Men laughed at my obnoxiously feminist bit. I've got to say, in my credit, George Carlin was on something. Something I don't understand. It's not comedy, it's a rant. If he was a woman, there's nothing about him that would be appealing. Mm, sure, now I'm just going to, I know I'm going to jump into Jen Big Sister right now. I'm, I can't understand, did you say George Carlin was on something or on to something? You wrote on something, something I don't understand. Now let me just say this. When I was 23, George Carlin was already way, way, way generations ahead of me, okay? He started in the 50s and 60s in Greenwich Village, New York. He has seen culture change in ways, well, except for, you know, what we've seen in the last five years probably with the Internet and Trump, but he, if you look at old stuff, was a very straight-laced, funny you know, they all kind of started in that kind of almost vaudevillian, like, jokey joke stuff. And then he found his voice, which is quite profound of a thing to do. And he grew his hair. And he became a guy who, you know, George Carlin opened doors for all of us. Because comedy doesn't have to be joke a joke a joke a joke a joke. The ranting, comedy is an expression and it can be funny or it can be snarky or humorous or thoughtful. I think it can be many things. And I don't think a sign that you just watched a brilliant comic is that you couldn't stop laughing. Um, sometimes the brilliance is watching him and knowing. If you read his daughter's book, um, uh, Kelly Carlin's book, I think it's called A, a Carlin Home Companion. It's brilliant. And she's a brilliant uh, writer and one-woman show actress, and she's just a beautiful, beautiful person. And she wrote about how for such a counterculture hippie guy, every word he wrote was exact. And even in the years when he was on drugs, and that might seem like an out-of-control thing to be, it was every word was exact. And so when he says pro-life is not pro-life. It's anti-woman. Now, is that ha-ha-ha belly laugh? No, but you go, holy fuck, that's right. He's telling the truth, and it's simple, and, it, and it's, it's powerful, and it's profound, and we all, whether we know it or not, have, have the DNA of every single comic that came before us in us. Does that make sense? And I think unless they were bad people, um, we, we shouldn't shit on it because you, you truly don't understand. You're a totally different generation. Um, 
And it's hard to see what these people gave us because things move so fast. Things can quickly look like he's just ranting. Now, towards the end of his life, there was one special where he was not sober anymore and he was ranting. But what you have to understand is that an old man ranting, sure, it's more acceptable than an old woman ranting, but being cranky on stage is a thing that has had an up and down history. And I remember years ago when Dane Cook was getting popular, I thought that's the end of cranky stand-up. He's positive, he's got the tank top. You know, we had Dave Letterman being kind of forced to retire because we got Jimmy Fallon th throwing paper airplanes at, at celebrities lip-syncing. It seems like posy posy. And, and I think that, like, you know, if you're saying you do obnoxiously feminist stuff, to me that sounds like maybe there's some cranky dank in your act, and, and you are able to do that because George Carlin did it before you. And, you know, yes, we still live in a very sexist culture, so of course a woman ranting is still seen as, you know, we all know when George is ranting, we're not like afraid of him when he's off stage, and maybe some people are. But yeah, people aren't used to women ranting yet, but that's why you must keep doing it and try not be aware, but don't be bitter. And certainly don't talk about it on stage. And I'm not saying that like hide your light, but do a think piece, do a whatever. But I have to, I'll tell you about my first years in stand up in a minute. But there was something for me about seeing George Carlin rant about the fetish. He didn't say fetish. I think something. I thought he said the fetishization of children, but I think I might have said that. So I, can't, I get me and Carlin confused all the time. No, but he said something about, um, like, I don't want to see your your kids' baby pictures. And, and, and while that thought has been said before by lots of people, in the context of this old man saying it, and the set of his stand-up special is a graveyard, and we know that he doesn't have many years left, and the common thing is that Adults, as they get older, they like younger people because it helps them feel young. Oh, where are the grandkids? Where, and I, I don't know, maybe in real life he was like, where are the grandkids? But to see someone be like, I don't give a shit, <laughs> you know, this bothers me and your parenting bothers me. I liked hearing it from an old man. And sure, it'd be fun from an old woman, but Joan Rivers was doing that stuff too and she was being lauded for it. Now... What George was doing was hard to get people behind, even though he was a man, because then he had ageism against him. So as men in comedy get older, they do finally kind of understand what it's like to be a woman. And I got that concept from an amazing book I'm reading by Nell Scoville called Just the Funny Parts. If anyone wants to break into writing or show business, if you don't read this book, then you're not serious about it, especially if you're a woman. And if you're a man and you want to know what it's been like for a woman who wrote for TV for 30 years and was the only woman in the room and broke a Letterman scandal and did this and then still got to work with him years later and wrote on Newhart and Murphy Brown and NCIS, and you, you're dumb not to read her book. And it's a delight and it's so funny and fun. It's called Just the Funny Parts by Nell Scoville. I am whipping through it. She's a delight. She's a wonderful person. So just be careful of saying things about older performers and being like, if they weren't a man, it's true. It's absolutely true. But at the same time, 
that's probably going to change in your lifetime. And the one good thing that George Carlin did was he broke the mold of what a man does. Does that make sense? Men in comedy used to be suits and ties. Then he grew his hair out and wore a T-shirt and got casual and started saying things that stuck up for women. So he did break the mold. He's still a man. It's not his fault that society will indulge his rants more than they will women. So we have to keep that into perspective and not get bitter and not shit on the past because the past is why we can do what we do. And especially Lenny Bruce, especially Lenny Bruce. Anyway, so, well, hang on a second. Your journey is a comfort to me, that of taking 20 years to be where you are. 22, and I'm not even close to where I want to be. It's just how it happens. Some people get famous, some people don't. Once on a podcast, you said you were lucky to have admin work to fund your comic lifestyle. This, again, helpful. I am lucky to be an office manager of a shit show office. It's boring, but there's plenty of time to write jokes, terrible ones, whilst dealing with toilet paper levels and holiday management. Exactly. And observe everyone around you. Now, again, yes, Ricky Gervais already did the office, so maybe you won't do a show about an office, but you are being given material all day long, and not in the way that your office mates go, I got material for you, but you might notice the sad sack. And is there anyone who talks to you and confides in you, but they act a totally different way to other people? Do you notice, you know, you just notice you're, you're being given a gift. You're being, it's like, it's like, um, the universe is saying, here's where you're going to go to comedy college, this office right now. You're just going to notice everything, you know? Um, I do describe myself as a comic, even though I'm not a professional. I know loads of people who call themselves an artist with no whatever makes you a professional artist. you got to fake it till you make it. Absolutely true. If you guys like spiritual shit, Marianne Williamson's book, Return to Love, she said uh, she was talking to someone who wanted to be a writer, and she's like, well, do you write? And she's like, yes. And she's like, well, to attract more of that energy of you calling yourself a writer and other people validating it, I don't care what you're writing. If you, she, This woman worked at a sandwich shop. She's like, when you write on the sandwich board, peanut butter and jelly on sale today, you're a writer. Like you're writing. Like literally you have to get that ridiculous about your gratitude for what you're doing because it'll attract more things and it'll just make you feel less insane. Basically, I just wanted to tell you that you inspired me to do stand up. I did it because of you and you alone. Oh God, that's amazing. I wouldn't be making an idiot of myself without you pounding the sidewalk in the 90s. God bless you. It might have also been because of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That was my final push. Um, yeah, I'm laughing because so many people are getting into stand-up because of her, and I think it's so cute. Um, I think it's cool shit. But, yeah, so when I first started, I noticed who the... Um, you know, we had this one comedy club in Boston, and it's not there anymore, and famous people would roll through, and they'd be the headlining act. And then the local guys would be the opening acts. And these local guys had worked their asses off, you know, in the 70s. You know, when you look at the 60s, there was comedy on Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, blah, blah, blah. But there weren't comedy clubs you did comedy in a nightclub act, at a jazz place, at a spoken word place. There, 
there weren't proper comedy clubs. That wasn't really a thing until the late 70s, early 80s. So people were always just doing comedy wherever. No one even thought, let's make a comedy club. It was like, you know, like even the improv in the early years, um, Bette Midler would go up and sing. Like Bud Freeman, who owns, who started the improv, uh, discovered her. And she's not a stand-up. So it used to be a very different culture. So then we have the comedy clubs. And then everyone is suddenly loving comedy. We get the comedy boom. And you get these guys who've got to make a room full of drunk people laugh. And they just learn how to fucking kill. They might not necessarily learn how to hone their voice and say what they want to say about society, but a lot of comics, that's all what they're there to do. They're just there to fucking kill and entertain you. And everyone's different. And I placed a value judgment on this one guy, and I didn't like him because I thought he was hacky. And it's not so much that he was hacky. It's just that he was very popular in the 80s, and a lot of that, like the way I perform is probably very 90s, whether I meant to be that way or not. It was just the stink that was on me from the generation I grew up in. And so I don't know if now people look at me and go, oh, she's so 90s. Or maybe it doesn't reek as much as the 80s, but the 80s was very, a little, a little hackier. If we, and what I mean by hacky is like going for an easy joke or sometimes even just like not revealing yourself as hacky. But he would do these things and he'd always be like, we getting shit-faced, everybody. Let's get fucking shit-faced. Yeah. And he wore like a cutoff sweatshirt. And I just didn't like it. And I was like, why is that funny? You're just riling up the audience. And But the audience fucking loved it. They didn't want to see me, you know, I went up to audition to work that club. I fucking bombed. No one cared. And so what I noticed was, well, he's not doing the kind of comedy that I want to do, which is fine. So we're two different people. Live and let live. There's a bunch of people that are entertained by him. They're not taking food out of my mouth. I've got my own nice little generation of people that like me at my artsy-fartsy places. Everybody's doing fine, you know? And someday I'll learn without having to act like this guy to entertain the masses that may not be into artsy-fartsy. Like, maybe I'll learn some skills that help bring my weird point of view into a mainstream room, and I believe I have done that. But I didn't know that yet, and I was defensive, and I was angry. It was just like this anger inside of me, like, why is the old guard still here? And it's like, you know, the old guard is still here to keep the comedy clubs open because you guys aren't funny enough yet to command a crowd. So, sorry, you know, and... I used to do, when I would go back to my little alternative rooms in Boston, I would, my act was making fun of him and being like, can you believe this guy gets laughs? And it's like, whether or not I like his stuff or think it's like good for America, he fucking worked his ass off. And like, he never left Boston. And I don't know if that caused him any pain or it didn't or it did, or he was king shit in Boston. Maybe he didn't want to leave. I don't know his life because I never bothered to know. I just was new at comedy my first year in and my act was making fun of men and how not funny they are. I mean, there's something kind of edgy and cool and groundbreaking and like what a absolute mental case this girl is. Like there's something about that. And um, I'm glad that there was no internet in a way so I didn't like brand myself that way. But it, it I felt bad about it later because I was like, well, you you can't just say who you are by saying who you're not, you know? And And so if you're not ready to say who you are yet, just say what you think. You know what I mean? 
And and now the guy's dead. And, and all I heard when he died was that he was just the loveliest person off stage and everyone loved him. And and now I totally relate to what he was doing up there. And I look back at one of his jokes and it fucking cracks me up. And I'm not going to do it because I, it, I'm not going to get it right. But, you know, these are the lessons we learned. So I would just say be really careful. There's a way to be feminist. And there's a way to look, sometimes it can make you look really young and really defensive. And that is something you have to go through. But I think there's a way to, there's a way to harness that anger that you might have at the unfairness of it all without perpetuating that women aren't funny and they're just angry. And um, again, I think a great way to do that is to buy this book, Just the Funny Parts by Nell Scoville. I'm completely serious. Everyone should get this, even stand-ups. I'm telling you, would Aunt Jen lead you wrong? Maybe by accident, but never on purpose. So that is my advice to all of you, to all of you folks out there. Now, my other advice is, look, if you're finding that you're, you know, you're really angry and you're really, like today I got so mad because someone came up to me on the street. She was like, you know, with a clipboard. She goes, excuse me, do you like puppies? And you know what, guys? I don't. I don't like puppies. I don't hate them, but I don't care. They're hyper. I'm not a dog person. I'm 44. It's not changing. I don't care. Who cares? I don't like puppies. I'm not a dog person. It's not my thing. I got so mad. Not at her. Just felt anger for like five minutes. Because I was like, I can't even tell anyone this. I can't even tell anyone my secret that I don't like dogs. And then I thought, why am I mad about everything? And I thought, thank God I'm in therapy. Because I do... I don't have a short fuse like I'm going to get mad and yell at you, but in my own internal self, like it's funny when we see Larry David do it on curb, but imagine really living that way like every second where you're just like, ah, everything annoys me. For me, it's a bigger issue of like wishing I could control all the players in the world. Like they're my little puppets, you know, and like just design my perfect day where nothing annoys me, where I don't have to answer for, for taste I have in something. And, um, and so it's interesting. I know myself really well because of therapy. And I can catch myself. I don't have to believe every emotion that I feel. I don't have to believe every thought that I think. So that's why I encourage everyone to go to therapy. And now you can. And you go, oh, Jen, I don't have insurance. I can't. Uh, I got a solution. This show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that enables you to improve your mental health from anywhere at any time. You can get matched with a licensed therapist from over 2,000 choices and message them whenever you want. No commute and no judgments from people who are watching you commute on your lunch hour. Again, these are real therapists with at least thousands of hours of experience. Yes, they have degrees. A therapist just provides you a designated person for you to talk to who's trained to listen to you and help you make positive changes. You can chat about challenges at work or at home or just chat about life. It's as easy as sending your therapist a message with Talkspace. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen and you can use code Jen at checkout to get $45 off your first month. And using Talkspace is so much cheaper than going to a therapy session and you don't need insurance to do it. Again, they have over 2,000 licensed therapists to match with your perfect one for a fraction of the price of traditional in-person therapy. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N, and use code Jen to get $45 off of your first month and to show your support for this show. All you need is a computer with an internet connection 
or the Talkspace mobile app. This means now you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. Talkspace.com slash Jen, use code Jen. Great. Now, let's see what else is going on out there. Let's see what else is going on out there. Ah, someone else like me cannot retain the brain. Jen, in a recent I Seem Fun episode, you were wanting to explain something you'd read, and you said something about having a hard time retaining information. I have a hard time explaining information as well. I am quite inarticulate, I feel. And I'm not putting myself down, like, please compliment me. I'm like, oh my God. I'm so, I... so, like and correct me if I'm wrong. Is it a situation where you know the thing because you read about it and the information made sense to you, but now you can't explain it properly because you didn't memorize the details necessary to get it across to someone else. I think that's it. Or I'm, I'm sometimes reading it knowing I'm, I want to tell someone else later, and, the, and it makes not like actual anxiety, like I'm having a freak out, but it causes this like, uh, uh, in your brain where it's like, okay, read it and comprehend and then get ready to tell someone later and you're doing two things at once and you've absorbed nothing. Like they were, there's this, like, it sounds like a Buddhist thing, but if you're ever doing something extraordinary, like you're swimming the Great Barrier Reef or you're hiking a mountain and you're like, you're, you're not taking it in because you're thinking of how you're going to tell someone later. So that can actually prevent you from taking in what you need to take in, which weirdly would makes it harder to tell someone later. You get a lot of, you had to be there. You don't understand. It was, it was, it was, and, and you can't describe what it was because you weren't taking it in and really observing and feeling it because you were thinking, oh, I'm going to tell my, my best friend Simsies, Simsies, you know, Simsies. We all love Simsies. Anyway, she says, uh, my little reader here, this issue has plagued me my entire life. I spend time researching things, marveling at details, getting a sense of how something works. And then when I get into a conversation about it, I cannot explain a goddamn thing. Oh, well, see, then that what I just said is different than what you just said. But I just can't verbally connect all the dots somehow, even though I know they're connected. It's so frustrating, especially because the other person is always just clearly like, ah, okay, you're stupid. Gotcha. Noted. And I'm just like, no, 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 I'm not stupid. I read all this stuff. I get it. I just can't regurgitate it for you right now. See, I would use the word regurgitate if I, if I were dumb. I'd say puke. It's not a great scene. Is this something you've ever worked on and gotten better at? No. Are there techniques you've learned? No. I've never heard anyone articulate this problem before. I assume because everyone's either actually dumb or better at pretending they know what they're talking about or one of those bastards that knows the stuff and can also talk about it. I actually love those people so much. I'm just mad I don't seem to be one of them. Can one become one or at least more of one, you think? I don't know if you'll read this rambly mess, but if you do, can you change my name to Sally just for fun? Yes, thank you, Sally. So here's what I would do. I don't know if it's possible, but if you're reading something next time, um, like if I read on my Kindle, I highlight something where I'm like, ooh, I want to tell someone this. Or like when I go, oh my God, I read this amazing book. It talks about this. I, I can't explain it. Well, then I can pull up a highlight and just try to highlight as little as you can so it's one or two sentences. Um, here and there. The other thing I sometimes do now is like, I'll take a note. I mean, we do have the internet right there. Like I was trying to explain to someone, um, something. And I was like, it sounds like a cult, but it's not. And let me look it up. And you know, it was just like, 
Yeah, it can just, I think it's just like our anxiety. But again, I don't mean like, well, I'm nervous, Woody Allen, anxiety. I just mean our brains are going so fast because we're trying to do so many things at once, like hold somebody's attention, convince them that we know what we're talking about, convince them that even if we don't know how to describe it, that the thing we're describing is a real thing and an important thing and they'd probably like it, and then trying to recall the information and you only have so many minutes to keep their attention. And my God, what if you don't communicate the right thing that makes them go look at, I mean, it's a lot. Uh, luckily, we do have phones in our pockets with the internet. That's sort of how I've come to deal with it, where I'm like, let me look it up. Or I'll go, you know what? Let me put a pin in this, and I'll put it in my notes section. And I'll be like, send Joe like a paragraph that describes what I was talking about later. So some, sometimes it's that, where I just remind myself, I'll get back to you on this. I don't really know how to get better at the brain thing, but I've come up with little creative solutions that... Uh, may or may not annoy the people you're talking to. Okay. Work trips are not vacations. Oh, this is an oldie but a goodie. Dear Jen, you've talked about people's reactions to your travel a lot on your podcast. Last week, I experienced it firsthand, and it was so frustrating. I'm a nanny, and I just got back from a 10-day trip to Barbados. Yay, the Caribbean! Except I was working for nine and a half of those days, and they were 12-hour days. Oh, God. How did you not just walk into the ocean and keep walking? Seriously. I mean, let go of the hand of the child so that they can have a chance at life. Sure, they'll see you drown, but whatever. Everybody kept saying how lucky I was and how nice it must be. No, it was a living hell. I love the family I work for, but 10 days away from my own life and routine, that's the key, guys, routine. Out of your routine for more than a few days, you go bananas, bananas, mayonnaise flavored like banana. Do you think we would like that? Bananas, bananas, bananas. I've lost my mind. Bananas. I just do that. You guys think the thing is skipping, but I just say that for the rest of my life. I'm in a nursing home. But banana mayonnaise, I mean, mayonnaise is, is an acquired taste anyway, and I don't mean like it's classy. I mean, most people think it's fucking gross. Um, I don't eat it, but I don't think it's gross. I think it's fucking awesome. Banana mayonnaise, I'd be so into it. I guess that's almost like banana pudding. Who cares? We'll talk. All right. Um, it was a living hell. I love the family I work for, but 10 days away from my own life and routine with only a couple hours off in the evening was brutal. At the end of the day, I was too tired to do anything except shower and watch one episode of something on Netflix. Plus, it was dark outside by then anyway, so the beach was out. The beach was out? Oh, the beach, like going to the beach, not an option. Yeah. The villa has a staff of very nice people, but they were so weird and pushy about my quote, day off, it was six hours, they seemed personally offended that I didn't have plans to take a bus and see the island. Oh, Lord, who wants to get on a bus on their vacation? You know, especially if you live in a city. Like, I don't want to get on any moving thing. I got on the plane, and then I got on the car, and now I want to get on uh, maybe a raft in the pool. But that's it. I want to do zip, right? This is what I'm imagining you're about to say. I couldn't make them understand how tired I was and how I just wanted to enjoy being alone in the house. Yeah, exactly. I went swimming by myself and then read a book and it was great. I want to scream at people that it was not a vacation, but they all tune out after they hear a villa and give me that must be nice bullshit. You know what's nice? The overtime I got paid. 
I agreed to go, and I can't complain, but it was work. Don't let anyone give you crap about not going out when you're on tour or traveling alone and keep JK living. Thank you, my friend, the nanny. I totally relate. I'll say this. Look, let's say one thing these people are right about. Let's say you live in, uh, I don't know where you live, but you live in uh, Winnipeg, Canada. I've been there in the winter. It gets quite cold. Or you're in Minneapolis. Been there in the winter. Quite cold. I've seen some negative 20-degree days in my lifetime, even in Boston. And maybe you hate that weather. And your favorite thing to do is to just get up in the morning, and you don't even have to match. You just throw on a pair of shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt. What if that's, like, your favorite outfit? And you wish you could wear it all the time. Well, I'm assuming at the Barbados Caribbean, you can probably do that. Maybe not the flip-flops, because you're probably running around chasing the kid. But in general, if you like warm weather, eh, then maybe it's nicer to be there than in negative 20, but that might be the only thing. And then even then you're like, yeah, sure, it's hot out, but now I'm sweating and chasing a kid and then they wanna go inside and now it's in the air conditioning and they're screaming and no. So I totally get it. It's like even the one nice part, you're like, "Mm, still no, still no. I totally fucking get it. Um, I don't even know. Somebody had a dream about the podcast. I feel like it's a weird thing to read. Um, this guy wrote, this is a long email, but I really appreciate it. It's from a gay listener. Uh, he's really fucking funny on my Instagram and on um, the facebook.com slash I seem fun podcast. He always cracks me up. Um, Of course, I can't find him right now, but he's a delight. He always writes the funniest comments. Um, Oh, at Argent, A-R-G-E-N-T-K-V-A-S-N-I-K-O-F-F, Argent K. Vaznikov. He writes to me on Instagram, and my favorite thing is when I post stuff on Instagram, no matter what it is, he's like, you rich bitch, I don't have time to do this. I'm taking care of my family. He's quoting the Live, Laugh, Love lady from this podcast. And if you're relatively new to the podcast, it's a character, well, I say that loosely. It was a, a, a woman that I was making fun of. And I call her the Live, Laugh, Love lady. She's just like your basic office worker who thinks Live, Laugh, Love is like amazing and has those signs everywhere. And She listens to the podcast. For some reason, she has a live feed of me recording it, and she hates me. And whenever I'm recording, she's like, oh, yeah, complain about working. I don't have time to go to Australia for work. I'm taking care of my family. You rich bitch. She's based on a friend's sister who freaked out on me on Facebook um, because I was voting for Obama and wrote, you rich bitch, Hollywood types, you're so brainwashed. Um, I don't have time to do all the things that you do. I'm busy taking care of my family. And I was like, okay. So anyway, hey, Jen, it's me, longtime I seem funner and longtime emailer. By the way, please feel free to use my name, info, and even steal material ideas from me. Anyway, I had to write again because I completely had a meltdown listening to the replay of the big surgery adventure. The play-by-play and blow-by-blow is exactly like my last sinus surgery six years ago. 
Oh, I mentioned he was gay because it's coming later. He talks about gay culture, but I forgot this about the surgery. Even though I ended up panicking, crying, and squeezing my mini Australian shepherd, Essie, named after Essie Davis, while listening to your story, which exactly mirrors the ups and downs of my numerous ongoing medical problems, I am glad I listened to every bit because your fun medical adventures helped me with my trauma. I have been in therapy before and touched on how much medical trauma I've internalized and expressed in quaint and eccentric ways, both constructive and not. And I have to say, it is an overlooked phenomenon in the larger conversation about health because it hangs precariously between physical and mental, neither fully one or the other. I still wear an intense amount of medical trauma on my sleeve, and I would have literally murdered to have a gen-type advocate as an early teen going through these things, or a Sarah to drive me around. Hell, I would even put up with a fucking Frangiola if I had to. These are my two friends, Chris Frangiola and Sarah Colonna, who I mentioned. Actually, at the top of this podcast, when I was doing something that you guys are like, what the fuck is happening? Anyways, if you felt like I think it would be really cool to find articles or information about the psychology and therapeutic... Oh, anyway, if you felt like it, I think it would be really cool to find articles or information about the psychology and therapeutic practices that address prolonged or severe medical trauma. Okay. Secondly, Allison is a rich bitch. That is my friend Allison Castillo. We did a advice I seem fun episode where we read your advice. We are doing two more in June. So please, if you have any quandaries in life, even if you think we, you might solve them on your own before we get to them, write the problem out to me. I seem fun at gmail.com. You don't have to use your real name. I won't say your email address or anything. And Allison and I will tag team, give you advice. And we may not agree. And even if you solve the problem again, by the time you send it in, um, everybody has the same problems in a weird way. So you'll be helping someone else by saying it. Someone else will go, Oh my God, that same problem. And then we can give advice and maybe it'll help them. So please, please do that. We need to get a ton of emails. So it's iseemfun at gmail.com. The deadline is June 1st. So get them in and just put in the subject heading for the advice episode. Um, okay. The beginning, um, of you find the beginning of the episode, you talked about finding a young gay audience that perked my interest. I actually found you through a gay podcast whose people linked to another one, whose people linked to another one, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea you were behind the great guest characters on home movies or were on Chelsea lately until I seem fun originally got going. It's a distant connection, but a connection, no less slay queen slay as the kids say. To get to the point, it seems to me, based on my own observations, a lot of young gay people bristle at things like the concept of a gay community and parallel terms because they are very preoccupied with social equality and living beyond categories. Many historically gay communities, centers, and bars find themselves needing to adapt to bring people in again, and when they do, some of them find that the community becomes too blended, so much so that the focus no longer has anything to do with much-needed advocacy projects and their related sets of common experiences. In fact, a gay club I went to once while in college about 12 years ago had such an increasingly mixed crowd with awful bachelorette parties and sleazier straight guys trying to trick the drunk girls in said bachelorette parties, they decided to do something about it. This place, completely decked out in rainbows and known as a landmark of LGBT social activism in the city I was in, made one day a week a Wednesday gay night. 
This was due to the mixing of patrons coming to the club and a growing number of anti-gay assaults that happened within the gay club itself. Mind you, this was just the late 2000s, and I obviously can't speak for the experiences in other locations from then to now. Um, another clue that this shift is happening is gay cruises. I decided to go on one four years ago. There were very few people my age or younger, and I felt like I would for sure be one of the older ones. Some of the cruise staff even remarked that the crowds are different nowadays, and they are now greatly reshaping how they market. Of course, younger people are far more price conscious now, but everyone I talk to box at the idea from a social point of view, saying they're like ghettoizing. For me, it was anything but and socially liberating. It was one of the most fun, positive, and eye-opening experiences of my life. Your observations about gay rights and identity via the lens of the Queer Eye revival is exactly on the nose. Um, there's a longer story here, but I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Anyway, I'll just, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's it's probably like, you know, again, I'm from a different generation and uh, had gay people in my life since I was 14 and, and all that. But in comedy, as a woman, we stand on stage and straight men look at us. Now, when do straight men sit in audiences and look at women usually? Strip clubs? Not all. But there's this notion you feel... Like, I get catcalled on stage. I get whistled at if I talk about my own sexuality in a joking way. Like, you know, I forget I'm a, a woman, you know, and, and, you know, we all know Louis' problems. But when Louis started talking honestly about, like, I don't want to be married or I'm masturbating, I think a lot of women were like, we were thinking as comedians. And we're like, oh, cool, we can talk about that stuff, too. So we did. And then we've got, oh, we, we can't. I mean, we can. No one says, no, don't do it, you're a woman. They're like, yeah, do it, you're a woman. And then I get tweets and emails, I'll date you. And it's like, I'm doing a performance piece, you assholes. And I'm always seen as a woman, as a potential mate, as a piece of meat, as a sex object, would I fuck her? And there's, a lot of times men don't get our sense of humor because they've never had to empathize with a woman's story because the world caters to them. So if they never wanted to, they never had to watch a TV show or a movie or a video game or a comic book that had a woman protagonist. And gay men growing up in my generation did not have a ton of gay men to look up to or how would you find them? We didn't have the internet. Not everyone was like, I know, you know, and so... It was like, I remember my gay friend in high school, he had Allen Ginsberg. He had a poet from the 60s. You know, it's like, there wasn't a lot that people knew. And thank God for people like Nirvana, like hanging out with RuPaul. Like, I'm telling you, it was a different time. And so when I started doing stand-up, there were a couple times I got to perform in front of audiences of mostly gay men. And it was the thrill of my life because they understood what I was saying because they actually we're interested in watching women's culture growing up, not because like gay men are women, I'm not implying that, but they didn't really possibly identify with a lot of straight guy stuff. This is an overgeneralization, but we're talking about if you're getting beaten up at school by the straightest of the straight, by toxic masculinity, they tend to veer away from that as the women did. You know, we enjoy male stories too, but we, we go away from the toxic masculinity male stories. So it's like, you know, um, 
And so when the gay guys left, it's like, it's, it's such a release. It's like, hey, it's just us. It's just us. And there's no straight guys here that are going to beat you up or try to fuck me. It's just us. This is safe. And you guys get me. And I'll be loyal to you, like, politically. And you'll be loyal to me by supporting my work, which is in and of itself political. And, and if gay guys make a woman famous, like, she has so much power in the business. And it's always been like, got to get that gay audience. And, and I'm sorry to reduce it to that, but... But it's really because it's such a beautiful feeling. And, and to be on stage and to know that the guys in the audience don't want to have sex with you is, and not like, oh, my God, every guy in the audience, but you know what I'm saying. Like, or there's no weird, it, it's, it's just such a gift. And I feel like gay men have these amazing senses of humor. So do women. That's who we, we hung out with each other in high school because the snark, the humor, the sophisticated humor was not about getting attention and making other people laugh. It was about surviving together. And that, to me, is always the funniest sense of humor. And if you watch someone that's just, like, generically, passably funny, they're not doing that kind of humor. They're doing the more, like, crowd-pleasing humor. So that's what I mean by a gay audience. And if people don't want to identify that way, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that you understand what I'm saying, dear listener, because... It really is a safe place for women um, when we perform for, for gay audiences. And it's just a fucking hoot. And, like, I'm sorry to positive stereotype, but, God, gay men have a fucking great sense of humor. Um, anyway, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? How about this? How about you live in London, you get tickets to my fucking show. I really need you guys there. June 22nd, one night. I'm coming to London because I'm going to be pitching some television show ideas there. And a lot of the executives are coming June 22nd. I know you might have seen some of the material before. That's why I kept the ticket prices down. It's 15 pounds. It's a Friday night show at 930. It's super fun. If you don't come and laugh, the executives are going to be like, oh, my God, she's not funny. So fucking come and bring a friend who's never seen me. Tell everyone from... Anywhere nearby, let them sleep on your couch that night if you live in London proper. Guys, I really need you. Can you do this for me? Will you tweet at me if you live in London and you can help me out? Please, please tweet at me, at Jen Kirkman on Twitter or at I Seem Fun Podcast. Will you remember? Will you remember? Will you remember? Until next week, have fun.